The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Hey, we have it. This is a milestone today. We are finishing the second question in our disciple-making process. The first one was, uh, am I fervently pursuing my faith? And that took us just a few weeks to kind of get our, get our feet wet and start thinking about it. Um, and then the second question is, am I invested completely? And that's, that's just kind of where we've been living for the last few weeks. And the main reason for that is because there's so much involved in what it means to be invested completely in the mission that God is giving for the church. And so my hope is that um, as we're teaching this, as we're helping you to see this, not just that you get a sense of it right now, but that you actually start realizing that every time we do a sermon, every time we do a teaching here, every time we talk about what it means to be filled, to be emptied, we're answering one of these six questions that we have of what it means to be filled. Uh, and so we're gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna pray for us, and then I want us to start talking about what today is all about. Will you pray with me? Father, as we talk uh, one more Sunday about what it means to share our faith, we ask God that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want to show us and what you have to say. Thank you, God, that we can be guaranteed because your spirit is in us to hear something today that increases our faith. And so, Father, even if we've heard some of this before, even if we have seen a, a sermon on this passage before, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes and our ears to hear and see something completely different uh, that helps us to understand you better. And uh, Father, in order for that to happen, we're asking you to remove Carrie and I from this uh, teaching. Remove us, Lord, so that only you can be speaking. Father, is anything that comes from us, no matter how witty or funny or gracious or smart, uh, we pray that it's quickly forgotten. But if it rings with your truth, if it drips with your grace, we pray that it takes root in the heart of every person here, that we are transformed and changed because of the truth of Jesus Christ and your spirit and yourself. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. So uh, we always start off with a, a consider question. The last two weeks, what we've done is we've talked about uh, the gospel and what it is. And, and that is important for us to understand because that foundation helps us know what it is we're sharing. Um, and so we're excited about that. If you, if you, for some reason, were able to be here for that or you, don't, you want to get a refresher, you can always go on our website, thejarministries.net, go to the messages page, and then hit one of the podcasts and you can take a look and see. We've got all of those different uh, messages on there that help you to remember. But we talked about what the gospel really is and the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we talked about how the easiest way uh, to share the gospel is with your testimony. 
uh, what Jesus uh, has done for you. And the way you do that is with BC, JC, AC. Before Christ, this is who I was. Then I met Jesus Christ and found out who he is. And after Jesus Christ, this is who I am now. And that's one of the easiest ways to give your testimony. BC, JC, AC. Now we're talking about a new thing. And so that, that is a simple way to share your faith. But honestly, there's an even simpler way. So this is what our considered question is today. What is the simplest way to share your faith? All right, today we are going to be starting in Philippians, in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 1. Um, so if you would turn there, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles underneath your table. You can grab one of those, or you can pull it up on your app on Version, which is a free app that you can get um, and look that up. We're in Philippians chapter 1. And like Michael said, the last few weeks we've talked about why it's important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Yes. Right? How to share what the good news is. And we talked about the very first time we talked about what the good news is. Right? So how to share that good news by sharing your testimony. And we talked about testimony last week. And this week we're going to be talking about how you share your faith is through your lifestyle. That's right. How you're living your life is an example for Jesus. Yes. Um, so we're going to start, like I said, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Awesome, okay. awesome. Excellent. All right. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any oops, I got stuck. Hold on. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God Himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past. And you know that I am still in the midst of it. It's mm, mm, good stuff. Uh, so, so he really starts out in, in the in the uh, English Standard Version. It says, "Only remember to live, live in a manner worthy of Christ. Now, live as citizens of heaven." Just gives us a reminder that this is all about enlarging the kingdom of God. When when Jesus came and he first started preaching, the first thing he said is, "Repent and believe." Uh, for the, the kingdom of God is near at hand. And so we, we have to remember that this is about enlarging the kingdom. So everything that we do for the good news is helping to enlarge the kingdom. Now, how do you enlarge the kingdom? By bringing one more to understand and believe in Jesus Christ and give his allegiance or her, her allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so one of the things he's saying is, listen, as you're going through this life, whatever you're doing, live in a manner worthy of that citizenship. Uh, and so in order to do that, we need to know what that looks like. Right. right. And we've talked about how, you know, here at the jar, we, we, we see the earthly perspective, right? Because mm -hmm. we're living it That's every right. day. But we're also looking at the heavenly perspective. And when we talk about being a part of the kingdom, once we become believers in Christ, we are part of God's kingdom, God's yes. economy. Yes. He's the king and we are living in his kingdom. And so this is all about how we conduct ourselves inside of that kingdom. 
right? So basically, he's telling us, be firmly united in that first, verse 27 and 28. Be firmly united together in spiritual solidarity, right? So yes. spiritually, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. And be of one mind, yes. okay? And that, that word mind, I, I love this concept. The, the word mind is a translation of the Greek word suke which is spelled P-S-Y-C-H-E. It's where we get the idea of psychology, okay? So suke isn't just about um, us thinking the same thoughts. Suke is about where our decision-making process comes from, our identity, our personality, who we are. And so what he's saying is we should all have the same identity. Now that doesn't mean that we should all be the same. We are all going to process that in different ways, right? But we should all get our identity from the same place. So in another place, Paul says, I, want, I, I, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. It is Jesus Christ who lives in me. And so that's where, what his identity is. He says, I always want to be identified with the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to be identified with who he is. And so what Paul is saying here is to be unified, we all have to be identified with Jesus. So if we're identified with Jesus and we get our identity from that place, then we, we may do things a little differently. You may have an accountant and a janitor. You may have a president of the United States and a person who is currently homeless. You may have a housewife and you may have a career woman. You may have a, a, a house dad or a career dad. Uh, but whatever it is, our identity, no matter how we're living that out, is in him. And because we have that together, how we live grants us the right to share our faith. Right, and I want to point out verse 27, where it says fighting together for the faith. Mm. And it says right before that, standing together. Another word there, some translations say firm. Mm -hmm. Stand firm together. Yes. Um, and he goes on to say in 28, don't be intimidated, right, by any way by your enemies. And this will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but they're going to be saved even by God himself. So we know, and we've talked about this before, that there are lots of struggles in this life, right? It's just part of it. You got good times and you got bad times, and we're all going to struggle at times. But when we struggle and we faithfully represent Christ, there are things that come out of that. One is it shakes us up sometimes when we're too comfortable. Mm, that's good. Sometimes we get too comfortable in what we believe and why we believe it. And we get too comfortable in the things that we are, that we have. And so sometimes that, that shakes us up when we go through that and we have to reevaluate. The second thing is it weeds out superficial believers. My daddy used to say, when you squeeze the toothpaste tube, what comes, what out, comes out is gonna show. And you can't put it back in. And you can't put it back <laughs> in the tube, okay? So for some of us, sometimes we have to be squeezed and sometimes we go through struggles. And what comes out of that too is going to be reflective of what's going on inside in our heart. That's right. The other one, the other thing is it strengthens the faith of those who endure. And we've talked about Paul many, many times talks about endurance and perseverance and running the race of this life. So the King James called it long suffering. That's right. Mm -hmm. um, and so remembering that. And then the, the final one is it provides an example for those around us, which is what we're going to talk about more about today. But yeah, it it, it provides. When that tube gets squeezed and people see what comes out, is it going to be something you want? Mm -hmm. Or is it going to reflect who Christ is, right? right. Um, 
So there's an example. Let me add to that. Here. Sure. Okay. So here's the thing. If you're going to get squeezed for your faith, that's why Paul is so big on us standing firm together. Because when we get squeezed like that, it gets tiring to be the only one standing, right? And there are, I, I don't know, I think of Elijah back in, the, uh, back in the Old Testament. Elijah was a prophet, and he was, uh, he was dealing with a king who was not very good and a queen who was worse. They were called Ahab and Jezebel. And when Elijah had to confront them, he confronted 500 prophets of the god Baal. And he was able to uh, not only show that God is really God, but he was also able uh, to turn the hearts of the people of Israel back to God by his demonstration. It's a, it's a great story. It's in Second Kings chapter 17. Um, but here's the thing. As soon as he did that, he knew that that queen was going to give him trouble. And so he took off running. And he took off running until he was too tired, and, and God said, here, lay down by this brook. And he, he sent an angel, he sent birds to feed him, and he gave him water and everything. And when Elijah got up, he was a little bit rested. Never, 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 never underestimate the power of a spiritual nap. Just saying. Amen. Okay? But he kept running after that. He finally gets into a cave, and he's like, God, just let me die. Just why did you even let me be alive? Just let me die. Why did he do that? Because there was a part of him that thought, I'm the only one. When everybody else was against God, I stood for him. And now I don't know if there's anybody who's willing to stand to. And so I'm wondering if I'm the only one. And God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? This isn't where I put you. And when Elijah explains it to him, he just wants to know that God's there. God sends a, a, a storm, a strong wind, a fire, and all these things, but God was not in any of those. And then there's a still, small voice that tells Elijah that he's really there. And he says, don't you know I always have a remnant? There are 7,000 who have still not bowed the knee to Baal. And what he was saying was, Elijah, you are not the only one. Go find the others who believe too, and stand firm with them. You don't have to do it all by yourself. And guys, so often we try to do it all by ourselves. But the truth is we are stronger when we are unified. And when we are unified, God has a chance to move in even mightier ways. It's not that he can't do it otherwise. He will. He'll take one person. He does it in scripture all the time. He'll take one person and change the course of a nation. But he loves to inhabit the praise of his people and loves to see his people gather together and take counsel together. He loves to see them praying the same things and trying the same things and making things work. Can I get an amen? This is good preaching. Yes. You should be amening and hallelujah and all over here. Okay? This is good stuff because what this means is you don't have to do this alone. He actually expects you to do it with him. And when that happens, there are so many times he shows up in a miraculous way. And that's the story you've got. So there's an example also, too, in Acts chapter 5. You guys can turn to it if you want to, or you can just write it down and take a look at it. It's verse 12 through 42. But basically, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders in the temple. And all the believers were meeting regularly in that temple, right? We know they were meeting daily. They were supporting each other. And the high priests and the officials and the Sadducees were filled with jealousy 
the passage tells us. They, they, they are filled with jealousy. And so they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But what happened then is an angel of the Lord appeared. And I love this. Yes. <laughs> the angel of the Lord came at night and he opened up the gates of the jail and he brought them out. And then he told them, go to the temple. Give the people this message of life explanation point. I love it. Basically, he's like, mm-mm. Uh-uh. We got a little bit of salty God here. Yeah, you know that thing that you just put you in jail for? Go do more of that. Go do more of that. Yeah. So we lead further on in chapter 5. It says, So at daybreak the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. And the high council was furious. <laughs> right? They started out jealous. Now they're really furious. When Jesus moves, religious people get angry. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to kill him. But... One Pharisee gave them advice not to kill him, and the others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles, and they had them flogged. And then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. But if you start in verse 41, it says, Then they left, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. They're like, okay, yeah. you flogged us. You put us in jail. You told us not to do it. But God said, yeah. do it. Right? Yeah. Peter basically says, decide what, decide what you will. I, 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 you, would, you would have me please men rather than pleasing God. I, I'm going to please God rather than men. Whatever you tell me to do. So what this looks like then, we want to give you a visual. A lot of times we have talked to you about, the, about shield groups, and we've, we've expressed that when, when Paul talks about the shield of faith, what he's talking about is this larger shield that the Roman soldiers had, and they would use it to create a shield wall, and it would look like this. So if you notice, that's, a, that's about a three-foot by four-foot shield. It covers you all the way down below your knees, and when they're locked together, it covers the person to your right and to your left. But they also would then, the guys in the back would put it over them. And so when they were uh, storming a place, when they were coming in and people were shooting arrows and all kinds of stuff at them, the shield wall kept anyone from being affected by it. That's what we mean by shield groups, is to be unified together and put ourselves in a position where we're not, our faith is not only protecting us, it's protecting the people around us. And so we gather three or four guys together or three or four girls together and we share life together and we study the word together and we find out what it means to be disciple makers together. We learn how to be disciple makers with each other and then we go out and find others to make disciple makers of them. Then we are exhibiting spiritually what these Roman soldiers are exhibiting physically. And the, 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 what we're trying to get you to this is that we are in this struggle together. And if we ever, what, what the enemy would like is to make you feel like you're the only one and then pick us off one at a time. But when we stand firm together, we are a shield wall against the slings and arrows of the enemy. And that gives us an opportunity then to bear up under whatever it is that he throws at us. We are able to stand firm. But it's not easy, is it? So we have another passage for you today. Yeah. So we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. You're going to go to the right. 
And we're going to start in verse 13 and end in 18. If you're there, say amen. amen. So beginning in verse 13, Now who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what, is good, what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ suffered for our sins once and for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Amen. 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 It's good stuff because what it reminds us is there are a lot of people out there who think they're being countercultural by going against what the Bible says. But the truth is, what, what the Bible teaches has always been countercultural to the world. We are the rebels. <laughs> we're, we're, not the, we're not the main group. We're the rebels. It, when we actually live a life for Jesus, we're going to look different than everybody else. And because of that, there are going to be some times when we get called names, when we get accused of things, when, we get, uh, when people keep us, uh, they don't include us in things, they... Uh, there are times right, right now it is difficult to share your faith in any work uh, place because we don't want anyone to be uh, offended by something by, by you believing something that others don't believe and so as we go through that life and we see all of those different opportunities for people to treat us differently because of who we are we have to recognize that our lifestyle how we live out our faith shows the goodness in us so that when others speak bad about us, everybody else is going, what's going on? Why in the world are they upset at them? That's the, those are the nicest people we know. Those are the people who are always there in crisis. Those are the people who always show up when there's a disaster. Those are the people who helped me get my groceries when I couldn't get them myself. Those are the people who helped me fix my car when I couldn't fix my car. Those are the people who prayed for me and I saw miracles happen. Those are the people who did the things that made us better. So, if you're upset at them, I don't understand. What could they possibly have done? And as they see our lives and they see the life that we're, that we're living, all of a sudden we negate all of those terrible things that people are saying about us. Can I speak against a lie, too, that has become very common in our culture is the word tolerant? Oh, yeah. We, a lot of people in, in the, have said that we as believers are not tolerant of other people. And what I always say to a person who says that to me is I say, then you don't fully understand Christianity then. Right. Because Christianity is being a follower of Christ. And Jesus was the most tolerant person on the planet. And he encouraged us to be tolerant. And we've used that word tolerant and we've twisted it. Tolerant doesn't mean that you agree with what every, everything everybody says. Okay? Tolerant means that you can agree to disagree but you do it, like the scripture says, in a gentle and humble way. Right. Okay? It doesn't mean, you know, Dewey and I have a disagreement and I'm going to browbeat him with it until the end of time. Yes. Until he agrees with me. That's not, that's not how Jesus did things. And we've talked about this the last two weeks. If you look at Jesus and you look at his style, 
what does he do? He goes to the people that nobody else wants to go to, and he sits at their table, right? Yes. And he, he doesn't talk. He's quiet until they ask him a question. And then he asks a question back. And if they become upset with the answer that he gives, that's on them. That's not on him. Right? So when we are coming face-to-face with people who are living a lifestyle, because we're talking about lifestyle right now, who are living a lifestyle that we don't necessarily align with God's will and what God says in his word. I'm not saying when we use the word tolerant, don't use the word tolerant for what the world's definition of tolerant means. When we say be tolerant, what we're saying is be willing to listen to them, be willing to try to understand where they're coming from, be gentle and humble in your answers, but also be willing to agree to disagree and that it's okay. And especially in our culture in this country in the last few years, we've been told that it, it's not okay to agree to disagree. That to me is the very lack of tolerance. Yes. So we are to love people where they are. That's what Jesus did. That doesn't mean we have to agree with everything in the lifestyle that they're living. But that does mean that we have to love them where they are and then continue to answer their questions and help them to understand what true Christianity means and what a true follower of Christ is. And I just wanted to speak on that yeah, real quick. Thank you. That's great. Um, yeah. So, so just a, a quick snippet of what she said. To tolerate does not mean to agree with you even if I think you're wrong. To tolerate yes. is to disagree with you but love you anyway. That's right. And that's what Jesus does. And that's what Jesus does. And so we, we, we have to put ourselves in that position where we are going to stand for our principles, but we do so in a way that we still invite conversation. And the best way to do that is to ask more questions than you give answers. And that's what Jesus did often, was he would ask questions, and he would get them to a place where they were ready to really listen to what he had to say, and then he would share mm -hmm. what's going on. So when I live my lifestyle, and I am doing so in such a way that it's different than everyone else in the, in the community that I'm in, and someone asks me then, why are you different? That's why Peter says here, always be ready for a reason for the hope you have. And remember, that reason is always Jesus. And we can too easily get into, well, I, that's what the Bible tells me to do. i got to listen to me. Listen to me. The Bible tells me so is not something they're going to listen to anymore. But if I say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm, I do what Jesus asks me to do, that happens to be in the Bible. We're no longer fighting about a, a, a word. We're fighting about the word. We're fighting about the person of Jesus Christ. And we can point to what Jesus said and say, this is where he says this. This is, what, this is why we do what we do. And Peter says, always have a reason for the hope that you have, not for the lifestyle that you have. My lifestyle comes out of the hope that I'm given right. because of who Jesus is. And so I'm focusing on the person. I want to talk about Jesus. If I get to talking about the Bible, I'll get into all kinds of debates and conversations and discussions that have nothing to do with the most important thing. What I do is I bring it back to Jesus over and over and over again, which, if you actually listen to what Jesus has to say, is what he does. He always brings it back to himself. Right, and in verse 15 it says, Instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life 
And some other translations say, in other words, it begins in the heart. That's right. We start with our hearts answering to the king. What's in here is going to come out. When you squeeze the toothpaste tube, what's in here is going to come out, right? That's right. And then the other part of that is, in 13 through 15 here, he's basically saying, don't be afraid of people. Yeah. It's okay to disagree and agree to disagree, and don't be afraid of that. The culture right now is telling us to be scared of that. And what God is saying is, don't be afraid of people. Stand firm. Worship me if your heart is right. That is where I dwell. And I love what 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says. says, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Right? There's that firm in the faith. Why do I believe Why do it? I believe and what, what I believe? do I believe? That's right. Stand firm in the faith. And then it says, be courageous, which means lack of fear. Be strong and do everything with love. Now, you can be courageous and have fear. I should correct myself on that's that. Right, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, if courageous go, and fearless are not the same. The guys that go into battle on that picture are afraid if they're in battle. It, it, fear is, is it, it can be a good thing. And that's a whole other sermon series that we could talk about. But basically he's saying be strong and do everything. He ends that verse in first Corinthians with and do everything with love. And so that got, goes back to respect and, and and being gentle and respectful in the way that we stand firm in our beliefs and in our faith. Yeah, this is why I struggle with Christians on Facebook because they start with what they're against. But what God wants to wants us to do is start with our hearts answering to the king. And if our hearts are answering to the king, He's the one who says, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. So if we're quick to speak, we're not answering to the king. We're answering to ourselves. And because you disagree with me, I'm going to beat you with it. And that's where we get the idea of Bible thumpers or browbeating people with the Bible is this idea that I'm, going to, I'm just going to wear you down with telling you how terrible you are if you don't believe in what I believe because of who God is. But that's not how Jesus only did that to religious people. He didn't do it to people who were not religious. He did it to religious people. When he said, woe to you, it usually came out with you Pharisees or you hypocrites. And he was talking to religious people. I don't, I don't remember seeing anywhere in scripture where he said, woe to you, you sinner. How dare you do the things that you do? Instead, he said, who is here to judge you? And the woman who was caught in adultery said, no one. He said, therefore, I won't judge you either. Go and sin no more. He offered mercy and grace and then offered what it means for us to follow him. If we are going to follow our king and give our hearts to the king first, we have to start with mercy and grace and then share what Jesus thinks about what's going on. And too often, we get that backwards. Right. And I think, too... You can't keep people from speaking bad against you. You just can't. We, we don't have control over what other people think or what they say about us, but you can control how you respond, right? And by not giving them more ammunition yes. in the battle. Yes. Do what is right and how Jesus would do it, and their accusations are going to become empty, and all it's going to do is embarrass them <laughs> and not you. 
you know, you know what just went off in my head. Mm. When you're offended, don't be offensive. We too easy. It's too easy for us when we get offended to go on offense and to start telling people what's wrong with them, right? Or to tell people what's right with us, as if that justifies anything. Instead, what we should be recognizing is when we when people are trying to offend us, if our lifestyle is worthy of the gospel, we have nothing to fear. We don't have to answer to that. We can actually rest in the peace of Christ and the wholeness of Christ and the in the in the understanding of the truth of Christ and say, I have an audience of one. It's God that I want to honor. And if I'm honoring him, even if other people are trying to get me riled up, I'm not going to do that because I want to follow him. We, When we were studying this t- together, I told Michael, I said, it reminds me of a good friend of mine. When her and her husband yes. first came to Christ, they were, they were both in their late 20s um, and they had three children. Um, and they had only been believers for maybe about a year mm-hmm. or so. Um, and as they were making that switch and making that change, all of the friends, all of the couples with kids, the families that they would hang out with, none of them were believers. So what was happening was they would say, hey, let's go to the lake for the weekend. And there were things that were going on that they were like, okay, they, we can't participate. They suddenly participate. felt uncomfortable with. We can't participate right. in this anymore. And it wasn't just about them. It was about their kids and trying to make that shift from um, a not yet family to a believing, an already family. And her and I had many, many conversations. It was, it was rough that first year when they gave their, their lives and their family to Christ because there some friends, you know, she would talk to and she'd say, listen, when our kids are together, I'd just really rather they, they not do X, Y, and Z, right? I'd rather your kids not cuss in front of my kids when we all get together, right? I'd rather we not have a lot of alcohol and a lot of intoxication when my kid, when we're all of our us are getting together, you know, four or five families and all of our kids are in the same place. Some of her friends respected their new, their new beliefs and what they were trying to do. And some of the friends completely shut them out. They're like, well, you think you're better than us. And so we're not going to spend time with you anymore. So when you are a new believer, when you are a baby Christian, a lot of times that can happen especially if the people in your circle that you've been hanging out with are not believers yet. And so I think this passage especially is is great. He's saying stand firm, be strong, be courageous, and when you need help, gather together and stand with your your new family. Yeah, find your shield group. Find find your your shield shield group. Find your new family in Christ Mm -hmm. and stand firm with each other. When it gets tiring, when you're standing up for what's right, Go to your your new brothers and sisters and say, I need your help. And if we start then, if we start with our hearts answering to the king and gathering together with others who feel the same way, then that allows us then to not take so personally the attacks that we get and to be ready to answer the not yets, to be able to share our faith. This is why I do this. Because... Right now, we're talking about those times when we might, we might say or feel or believe something that, that is opposed to them. But after a while, what they're going to see is that there are a lot of things that we believe that, that help us get through things. We suddenly get through that, that tragedy 
differently. We get through that loss differently when we mourn. We get through uh, that, that bad work day differently. We, we pray when we need to pray. And, and all of a sudden, they start asking us to pray with them and pray for them. Uh, and how do you do this? What does it look like? So we don't want you to get the wrong impression either. It's not just that they will, at, they will get mad about the stances we're taking. It is also that they will start recognizing the difference in us and start asking questions about why we have been transformed, what has happened. And this couple had the same experience where right. they had some of their friends who were like, why are you different? Like, what, what caused you to do this differently? And they were able to say, in love, gently, with respect, we have just suddenly realized that Jesus is not only our Savior, he's also our Lord, and we're trying to give our hearts to the King. They didn't say it in exactly those words, did they? But that's what they were trying to express. And, and God honors that. God blesses that. God gives opportunity inside of that for us to disciple others. Because to disciple someone doesn't require someone to already believe. Even those who are not yet need discipling. They need to know why you are doing things the way you're doing things, which also helps to explain why you believe what you believe. And that's why gospel and testimony and lifestyle all go together to help them to understand who he is. So if you're going to be ready to answer the not yet, then the simplest way to share your faith is to live it out and give glory to Jesus for it. And I want to kind of touch back to sometimes that happens in suffering, like at the beginning. In 17, it says, remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Some of us have suffered because we did the wrong thing. Some of us spent time in jail, prison, rehab, other things, you know, and we've gotten ourselves into trouble because we did things the wrong way. And what he's saying here is if you're going to suffer, Suffer for doing good. Mm, yes. Right? Suffer for doing what's right than to suffer for what's doing wrong. And 17 pretty much speaks for itself. Um, and I wanted to point that out as well. Yeah. And then he goes on to say that in 18, remember, basically, is what he's saying. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death. But he was raised to life in the spirit. So what he's basically saying here is, look, he suffered both physical, spiritual, and emotional. And he did it for the whole world. When I suffer because of something, a bad decision I've made, or something out of my control, when I suffer, that's nothing compared to what Jesus suffered. Right? So he's saying, remember that. Remember that he did all of those things. He did the ultimate suffering. And if he can do it, we can do this together. And I, I love uh, that. I, I feel like the best way to, to kind of wrap this up is to... Uh, God's asked me to share this part, and I don't really want to, but here we go. Um, there was a time as a pastor that I got to be involved in a three-hour congregation meeting where the person that they were describing had nothing to do with me but they were blaming me for things that I had not had any motivation to do, or in some situations, not even any ability to do. And for a long time, they were talking about this, and I was trying to figure out how I was going to defend myself. And I finally just got to a place in my spirit where I just was like, God, are you listening to this? 
this isn't even me. And in that moment, it was like Jesus sat right next to me and leaned into my ear and said, if you think this trial is bad, you should have seen mine. He was made sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. And whatever we have been through and whatever we have to go through because of what we believe pales in comparison to what our Jesus did for us when he let them mock him and beat him and hang him on a cross. Do not forget that your Savior went through it first. Pray with me. Father, for so long, our nation has been known as a Christian nation, and I don't know that, that it ever really just fully deserved that title even. But nowadays, it seems that we don't just live in a post-Christian nation, but in some ways an anti-Christian nation. And we struggle with that, God, because we know that Jesus is all about love, but godly love. is all about life, but godly life. is all about truth, but your truth. And all we want to do is stand for that. And there are so many who are against us. Even sometimes people who say they believe in you but want to change what you stand for. Father, we are standing in the midst of that and sometimes we feel like we're the only ones. Like everyone else in the family, everyone else at the workplace, everyone else at Walmart, everyone else at home doesn't understand and wants to make us out to be the enemies. But we know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Your son Jesus loved greater and deeper and more honestly and more purely than anyone ever to grace the planet. And he died for it. But he also rose for it. And we have that power Amen. living inside of us. Jesus. And the same resurrection is being ready to prepared for us. So let others call us names. Let others treat us wrongly. Let others accuse us of things that are not true. They are nothing in comparison to what you have done for us. Amen. And so we owe you our allegiance. We owe you every ounce of strength we have. And that's what we offer you, Lord. Fill us with your spirit so that we might be emptied for others. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor Michael from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore. If you are interested in shield groups and want to know more, please send us a message to info at thejarministries.net or on our Facebook page. We will give you an outline to follow if you want to start your own group or connect you to others who are interested. May God bless you. I am filled.